Fertility Season 2. This morning, we are sitting down with Erica, who is not only going to share her own unique story through infertility, but she's going to express the importance of owning your own unique story. Erica started the blog Moving Mountains for Motherhood that features personal testimonies and self-published articles focusing on mental health, tips and tricks to navigating infertility and educational pieces to provide awareness in layman's terms. Welcome, Erica. Yay, thank you. I love this podcast and it's helped me so much in the last 18 months of my journey. So I'm excited to be chatting with you guys today. Well, your blog and website is just, if not even more impressive. So we're super excited to hear your story, of course, and then really to kind of dive into why you started um, Moving Mountains for Motherhood and really everything that it encompasses. Sure. So, I mean, I'll try to make a long story short, right? Because we all have long stories as to why we're even in the infertility community. But um, so basically my husband and I, we have been together for 10 years. We're college sweethearts. We went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, We live on Long Island. We bought our house in 2017. We got married in 2019. And My husband was adamant that we couldn't start trying to have a baby until he turned 30. So I ovulated for the first time, like the day after his 30th birthday, I threw him a surprise party because like I wanted to surprise him for his 30th and I knew I was ovulating that weekend. So I like literally did the party a week early to like build the excitement. Everyone's going to get, you know, you get pregnant on the first time, like when you're trying right in your mind. So we started trying right after he turned 30. So I was 29 and this was 2021. Um, we went one year, you know, the one year we did not get pregnant. I always knew something was off. And I actually had said to him, even before we started trying to get pregnant, like jokingly, like, oh, watch, we'll end up doing IVF. And he'd be like, why do you say that? And I would say, well, I don't know, like my periods have just never been right. Like I just always had a feeling. And so the word endometriosis wasn't really like spoken about a lot in my family, with the exception of talking about this one maternal grandmother who had this condition where many times she had to get, quote unquote, cleaned out. And I never really knew what that was, but I know she had bad periods because she used to tell me when I was a little girl that her mother would send her to school with a shot of whiskey. Oh, my God. All the period pain. That's what they did apparently in the... 30s and 40s. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny. So I got my period at 11 and I had very heavy, very painful periods that I have been hospitalized for throughout the 19 years that I had a period without a diagnosis. I would vomit or feel like I was going to vomit really bad pain. I remember I got a period so bad on my honeymoon. I was like contorted upside down in the rental car we had. We were driving from Croatia to Montenegro And my husband was like, you're having an exorcism in this car. And I'm like, honestly, I understand this is probably one of the worst periods you've seen, but like I've had these my whole life and some months are worse than others. And I think at one point I was up to like eight Advil a day to try and find relief with no relief. And every time I would talk to a gynecologist about it, it was always like, just take more Advil, which is like not good for your body. (laughs) Like you shouldn't be doing that. Um, And then it was always like, are you trying to get pregnant? Well, no. Okay. Well then just take more. Like they don't, care to like educate about like protecting future fertility unless like you're trying to get pregnant which is like obviously part of the problem with just like infertility education in general but after we've been trying for a year I ended up leaving that OBGYN and going to a specialist who specializes in PCOS and endo because I started to be convinced I had something wrong and sure enough the this OBGYN was like you are classic endo let's do the laparoscopy surgery right now so we did that like 
three weeks before my 30th birthday. And I was diagnosed with stage three. Um, I had like 32 stitches internally. It was a very tough recovery. So I don't know why they say it's like an outpatient thing. Cause I ended up having to stay overnight. I was in rough shape afterwards. Um, came home. They said, you're cleared out now go try. But again, that's false information because when you have endometriosis, especially stage three, the inflammation in your body, it's, it's cooking those eggs. It's messing around with that egg reserve. It's doing something. And so cleaning yourself out is not going to fix the damage it did to the egg reserve, but they don't really tell you that. So we tried, nothing happened after three months. I was just like, forget this. We're, we're going to the fertility doctor. And within, I mean, I interviewed three different clinics went with a doctor who is very well known here in New York, but specifically because he has very, very high success rates because he's a very direct straight shooter doctor. Like he's not going to make you do multiple rounds of IUI if it's not going to work. He's going to tell you straight up like what's good. He's very direct. And I wanted that because I just um, didn't want to waste more time. And I just wanted to know like, what are we, what are our options? So he did our blood work. Everything was totally fine for my husband. Sperm sample was amazing, which of course he was like super cocky about. Um, and I came back <laughs> with like, yeah, literally. And the only thing I came back with was an AMH of like a 45 year old. Like there was nothing else. There was nothing thyroid problem. There was no autoimmune. There was nothing like everything was perfect except my AMH was 0.9, which after two rounds of fertility treatments dropped to 0.5. And for context, like at 30, like your AMH should be like, three, four. I have friends who are my age that their AMH is like five plus. Um, and I know like the higher you get with the AMH, it could be indicative of PCOS, but like to have an AMH of 0.9 at 29, like I still question to this day if I should have even done those egg retrievals, but I think everybody has to like try and feel like they vetted in their own way. Yeah. So we did a round of um, IVF. I was like the most ignorant person ever. Cause again, like you don't, you just think I'm going to do it. It's great. We're going to, you know, so we did a round and we got two eggs, one fertilized it died on day three. Then the doctor was like, you're the perfect candidate for a PRP or platelet rich plasma therapy, which is getting a lot more popular. Um, he had like a special way of doing it I, the way that I don't know how exactly he explained it, but he wanted to do that. He thought I was a good candidate because he felt that, well, you're 30. So even if we can't get a lot of eggs, if we can get more out, the quality should be there because hello, you're, you're young. And that's like such a toxic thing that doctors tell patients. And it's something I've been advocating a bit for, like through my own channels, because like, maybe that's the case, but honestly, like nine times out of 10, that's like not the case. Mm -hmm. And I've come to learn that like when you're scraping from the bottom of the barrel, like that's what you're doing. And maybe you'll find the golden egg, but like the odds are you might not. So like, I was so excited. I did the PRP. We're going to get more. I'm young. And we did, we ended up getting 12 eggs which was crazy to go from two to 12. Wow. So, so what is PR? So I think we've talked about it one other time on the show, but I don't think the guests did it. So what did that entail? So what they do is they draw out your blood. They take like eight vials of blood and then they reprocess it in this machine that like spins it and separates it. And then they do some kind of process to it that makes it look yellow. So it's literally like liquid gold. It's your platelets from your own blood. And then while you're under anesthesia, so they can do it during an egg retrieval or at a separate time, they take a big needle and they shoot those platelets directly into your ovaries. And then best demonstrative practice is you let it sit for two to three months. I know people that they let it sit for a couple weeks, but my doctor was like, no, this has to sit for a couple months. That's what the studies show. And it did work in the sense that like, I actually had like five follicles on one side and like seven on the other, or eight on the other, whatever it was like 
I've never had that before as a DOR girl. I've only ever had like four in total at the most. So from a quantity standpoint, it worked. But like, I have just become so convinced the more I've been in this community that like, you really can't fix egg quality and all the money and the time people spend on the supplements and the diets and the acupuncture, and all of that. Like I, in my experience, like quality is what it is. Yeah. And I think that there's unfortunately like a money-making, you know, pro- like agenda with a very vulnerable community when it comes to like egg quality. Um, but yeah, it worked. We got more out. We got great fertilization rates because I'm working with, you know, good sperm thanks to my husband and every single embryo died on day three. Like they just could not thrive. And so I went to the doctor and I'm hysterically crying. And it was actually kind of funny because the doctor got a nosebleed halfway through this conversation. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm stressing this fan out so much. Oh my if gosh. My, my question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Awesome. That is so funny. Of course, uh, it was not you, but that's still so funny. My husband was like, I'm sorry. She works in the pharmaceutical industry. She launches products. Like that's what she does. So like, I'm in here. I'm like, what's the t- statistically significant difference of doing this versus that? And he's like, let's do Omnitrope. And I'm like, absolutely not. That's an off-label indication. If it was actually going to work, they would have paid to put the study in the PI. Like I'm debating him. Oh my gosh, wait, eventually I want to go to Omnitrope because I used it (laughs) and I don't think it worked. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That drug's been on the market for 25 years. And if that drug had a statistically significant increase in what fertility doctors use it for, I could guarantee that pharmaceutical company would have paid to put those results in their package insert so they could market it that way and make a lot of money. And in 25 years, they haven't done that because those studies don't exist. And it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not the primary use is not for infertility, right? Isn't it like for cancer treatment? I think actually the main use is for children that are um, growing, right. like to right. slow, like their development. It's to help them with their growth plates, like for like live children that like need to like be taller or be bigger. It's not, yeah, there's no indication for infertility. And that's not to say that like any off-label drug use doesn't work because there certainly are examples of that, but this is a drug that's been on the market for 25 years. And like, I'm very skeptical of off-use label drugs that have been around a long time, because if there was a statistically significant difference in what that drug could do for patients, like the, the pharmaceutical company would put it in the PI. So the marketing team could market the product that way. And they're not. So those studies don't exist. And it's not that the smart people that made the product haven't thought about that. And so I challenged my doctor with that piece. And he said, well, you know, you're kind of right. He's like, um, I'm just kind of throwing this out as like a final Hail Mary because I don't want to push you to do donor eggs. I want to give you every option. But yeah, that PRP that we did is the newer, more advanced version of the Omnitrope. So he said, he's like, I can't do anything that's going to statistically significantly change your odds And so my response to him was, well, then I'm done because I'm coming to you to have better odds than natural conception. So natural conception every month is 25 to 30%. If my odds with you, with my eggs are between two and 5%, which is what you're telling me, then that's not, in my opinion, money well spent. So I moved on to donor eggs probably faster than a lot of people that have DOR do because I do have that, like, I guess, pharmaceutical minded background where it's like, did I want to have my own genetic children? Of course I did, but I'm not going to drown my life savings on a 2% chance. Like I need to see a good odd to risk other things in my life. I love that. I mean, you're, cause you're not really like the, the typical fertility patient comes in with zero medical or health background. So they just think whatever the physician says is like, Hail Mary, they're right. This is perfect. I love that. 
doctors want to give you hope. They want you to come to your own decisions. They never want you to look back as a patient and say, I got forced into something. Also too, like it's a business, it's a for-profit business. So like they want to help you, but like, if you're willing to continue to do things with low success rates, like it doesn't, it doesn't like negatively benefit them. So I feel like in this process, you have to be such a critical thinker um, for yourself. And that's like really hard to do when you're at your most vulnerable state of your life. And that's what's like, that's why my heart breaks for like myself and others in this community. And it's why I wanted to start my blog because mental health, if you can't get the mental health aspect of it kind of like in a good place and reframe like what you're going through, you can't make good critical decisions to give yourself your best odds to move your life forward. And so it becomes this like perpetual toxic circle of like failure. And I really do believe that enough of that can result in like prolonged PTSD, which I didn't want to have. I already felt like I already have it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you chose to go on to donor eggs about what, like a year and a half in, a year in? Just because you tried naturally for a year. Yeah, tried naturally for a year and then did like eight months of fertility treatments, moved on to donor eggs. So actually, like I found out that we were going to start IVF last August, and that was exactly a year to now. Okay. Okay. I feel like our timeline's pretty much very similar as when I then switched over and we did um, like we adopted embryos. So yeah, it's like very similar uh, timelines. We were looking into that. There was a part of me that there was an unhealed part of me for a while that felt like if it can't be fully ours, then why should it get to be half my husband's? And so I um, was really pushing for embryo adoption. I think there's a lot of benefits to embryo adoption. It's like a beautiful path. And I felt like I'm called to this. I need to do this. But um, through some infertility therapy and some support groups and like conversations with my husband and like my family and even just like time with myself. I came to realize that a lot of the fears that I had about egg donation were not really like rational, true fears. They were just like the unhealed part of me and the trauma of infertility. So that's, you know, we ended up coming to the conclusion we wanted to do egg donation, but I did look into embryo adoption. And I also looked into regular adoption, which is still on the table for us. Um, And now I'm just open. And I think it's cool because I'm like, you know what, like when you don't have one path to do something, and it forces you to get creative and think of other ways to do things. Now the opportunities are so endless. Like I have no idea if we're going to have more children through the donor eggs, if we're going to do adoption, who knows who's going to end up being part of this family. And I think in a way that's kind of like special, but it took me a while to get to that place of seeing it that way. It's super liberating. And you don't feel like there's like you're, you don't feel as much pressure to like, this has to work because there's so many different options. And I, I mean, Amanda and I, I think we said it on a few episodes ago, like when the, um, when Jennifer was on with the uterus transplant and I'm like, the opportunities are in that was like, yeah, exactly. It's like, it just opens the door to so many things. Yeah. That's so exciting. That's so okay. Cool. So you decided donor eggs. Yeah. So you did donor eggs. And we then, did frozen, frozen donor eggs. We bought eight frozen eggs um, from an anonymous donor bank that was affiliated with my clinic. And it's really interesting because last October, we went with um, really good friends of ours up to Salem, Massachusetts for a like October weekend, if you will. And I'm very spiritual and I was very down. And I said to my husband, I need to see a medium while we are in Salem. And he was like, okay, you're, you're crazy, like whatever. But I did. I went and saw a medium in the heart of Salem, like a week before Halloween. And the medium connected me with my three grandparents unequivocally. I mean, it was 
I was chills shaking. I mean, I couldn't believe like what this person was able to tell me. But at the end of the session, I asked my grandparents about like this whole process. And I said, like, am I ever going to get pregnant? Like, am I going to have kids? Like, what's the sign? And they said the number eight was the sign. Okay. Now frozen donor eggs are typically sold in lots of six, but my donor that we selected just happened to have two extra eggs beyond the six that you could purchase a la carte. So we ended up getting eight eggs, which is not the typical lot number. Also my, you know, my transfers was scheduled for this month, August, which is the eighth month. So, um, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but it was very interesting to like see that number pop up. That's I, I love that. I really have always wanted to see a medium. So maybe I'll connect, <laughs> connect with you yeah. after this. But that's similar. Our story, you know, our number was seven. And, you know, my daughter was our seventh pregnancy. It just, everything's very, there's so many things with the number seven that we just kept coming upon. So I think numbers are so real. That experience is really powerful. Mm-hmm. All right. So you got your eggs. <laughs> yes, we got the eggs. And, um, because we were luckily dealing with like very healthy sperm from my husband, which we know he's confident about. Um, (laughs) We got five embryos of those eight eggs, which is a really, really high funnel for really any actually amount of eggs that you pull, but especially for frozen donor eggs. And I think for us, the key was going with a proven donor. Um, And so I worked with the clinic, not only to get matched to somebody that had, you know, similar characteristics and all that, but I wanted to work with someone who was proven and I know plenty of people that get fresh eggs or go frozen. And it seems like unless the donor is proven, you really don't know exactly what you're going to get. Um, I know that like, I feel like there's a little controversy in the donor egg community around, should I do fresh or should I do frozen? And I think it just base, is based on like what's important to you. Like for us, I could not go through another egg retrieval again, whether it was mine or someone else's, I was going to have a nervous breakdown. So like we're done. I want the eggs. I want them mature. I want them now. (laughs) And I didn't really care if we only got one or two embryos and one pregnancy resulted from this donor. And I had to get more eggs from another donor for another pregnancy. That didn't matter to me because the reality is, is like genetically, no one is mine. So it didn't matter to me like that they're full or they're not like, I don't see it that way. I just see it as like, they're all our spirit children that we're always meant to be ours. And the vessel that they're coming to us in is just like whatever it needs to be. Have you read the book Spirit Babies? I did. But you know, it's funny. Like I have been saying that like the soul you're meant to parent will find you one way or the other. I started saying that through my blog and on my Instagram page like a year and a half ago before I even knew that book existed. And then people were like, if you feel this way, you have to read the book. So then I read the book and it validated those feelings. But I've always felt that way. That's incredible. Yeah. I read the book two years ago, almost to this day. And it's, it's, it's a great book. We can even link it, but you are speaking the language. So it popped up in my head. I just think that like, when you go through something really traumatic, like infertility, we all look for like a purpose or a reason or like a why. And sometimes like, there's not a why, like, that's, what's hard about this. Sometimes like shitty things just happen to good people, but I feel like there's always a byproduct. There is always some kind of like lesson learned, person met, experience had. So it's not to say like you had to go through this, but because you did X, Y, and Z happened. And then you look back and you go, well, I wouldn't have not wanted X, Y, and Z to have happened. So I guess, I don't know that I'm happy for the journey, but there were silver linings. But like when you're so deep in it, you don't see that and you don't want to hear that. And I think that like, I don't know, I guess just me being able to own 
like what we were going through and be really bold about it. Like not just within our circle of people in real life, but like just put myself out there online, just be vulnerable. Um, people say I did it. Oh, I'm helping them. Honestly, it helped. It was for me. Like I did it for me and I'm glad I helped other people, but it, it, it was done for me because I was in such a dark place that I was truly at one point left to live for. And like, when you get to that point, especially when you're someone who's never had mental health issues before, and now you feel like you do, um, I don't know, like you just have to like figure out a way to like dig yourself out of that. And for me, it was through writing um, and connecting with others. And I'm in a better place now, but I've taken a lot of months to heal. When did you, you, you've said, I know Amina and I both are jumping at you. <laughs> you've said everything that's been in my brain for years. I mean, you just artic articulated it so well. When did, and Amanda, sorry, I'll let you go too. When did you start your blog before, like in the very beginning of this experience? No, so I'll tell you what happened. So no, the blog started in like March, April of this past year. It started only like maybe like five or six months ago. Um, I was not at a place to do something like this when I first went and went through like the journey. Cause it started with a laparoscopy surgery. Then it was, you can need IVF. Then it was IVF doesn't work. Then it's, you probably can't have genetic children. You likely never will. And then it was spiral. Like I, I can't even explain. I'm like, my husband shouldn't be with me. My friends shouldn't be my friend. I'm this awful daughter. I'm this horrible. Like I felt like I was ruining everyone's life around me. And I think that was a projection because I felt like my own life was ruined and it's not. And it's honestly been so blessed since I've been able to heal through the process. But at the time, that's how it felt. And so I did seek out talk therapy, which helped. But I have to say, I think what helped more was um, joining a couple support groups. So there are a couple different like companies that do like support groups. You can pay to be part of them. But I also started my own. So I have like a donor egg IVF mom group on Instagram. We have almost 50 members. It's been growing <laughs> every week. I feel like we're like the beacon, like the haven for like people to just find us and then join the group. It started with like five people and it's grown. And that like finding community and knowing that I'm not alone, especially being someone who can't have genetic children when they're younger. Like I was meeting a lot of people using donor eggs that were older, but I've met now so many people in their twenties and thirties that have to do it for medical reasons that like, that was all the validation I need because I didn't know anyone in real life that was experiencing infertility. All of my friends within, I would say probably six weeks of finding out that like, I was going to have to do IVF before we even knew about donor eggs announced their pregnancies. I, we had, I think we counted, it was like 11 or 12 pregnancy announcements in a six week span. And I've gone to 12 or 13 baby showers since the beginning of the year. It's all I've done all year. This has been my baby year. I went from having no friends with kids to now every local friend that I live near more or less had a baby, has a pregnancy and nobody was struggling. Mm -hmm. And I felt like such a freak and I felt so embarrassed and like confused and like just horrible. And so I always say that I'm like, it's not a battle unless everyone, you know, all of a sudden is totally pregnant out of the blue. Like yep. you're not, like, apparently you're not allowed to suffer without all of that too. Like, and it compounded and it did, it made it a lot harder for me. Mm -hmm. And so I needed this blog because after I started to connect with people online and I started to create a community of my own that I couldn't find in real life, I just realized how much more other people needed to hear layman's terms, straight shooter, like 
examples from someone who's actually like valid in giving that advice or that those experiences because like they're going through it too. Yeah. So I just write topics that are relevant to my life and to the experiences I'm having. And like I said, I'm in marketing and I'm also in pharmaceuticals. So I think it all kind of helps to like shape it a little bit, but um, yeah, no, it's been great, I guess for other people, but it's been honestly the best thing for me. I love that so much. And I can relate to you in so many ways. It's not even funny, but um, I'm just like on your, your blog now. Do you have like a specific one that you just like love? And that's like your favorite one that people should like go to first, if they're like jumping to your blog and they're starting this journey of either egg donor, embryo donation, or going through IVF or whatever it is. Do you have like one specific that they should start with? Yeah. So like I've written a couple that I'm like, damn, those are good. Like I was all finished them and I'm like, who the heck wrote that? Like has brought out out creativity and passion that I don't know where the heck that was. But I would say my favorite one is called Baking Life's Sweetest Miracle, a cake analogy for understanding infertility. And where this came from was when I first came out to family and friends that we were going to have to do IVF. I had people ask me like, are you sure? Like, why do you have to do that? Like, why do you want to do that? Um, Do you need a surrogate? Like, right? Like, that's always the question. Do you need a surrogate? (laughs) Actually, most infertility journeys don't need surrogates, actually. But (laughs) that's always the question, right? So I was struggling because, again, I have no people, like, no one in my life. Everyone in my family gets pregnant easily. All my friends get pregnant easily. I didn't have, like, anybody that could get this. So I started explaining it to my friends and family like this. I'd be like, okay, like think of it like you're baking a cake. Some people have problems with the ingredients, which is like the eggs and the flour. And some people have issues with like the KitchenAid itself. And some people have issues with both or all three, but like, let's focus on like one or the other. And so that's how I started breaking it down. I'm like, we don't have an issue with the kitchen. Like we can bake a cake. It's just that the, like the flour, which that's how I, when I correlate, I say like the flour is the, um, the eggs my flour is like non-existent and like really crappy. So I just have the sugar. I don't have the flour. So I'm going to have to either find a way to like make my flour better, which is hard to do, or I'm going to have to go buy or purchase or like get other flour on like loaner. Um, So when I broke it down like that to people that it's like an ingredient problem and not a kitchen problem, it was like, oh, okay. Mm. So I think this is a good article because I think People try to get really clinical and medical with their family and friends. And like, they don't have the capacity to understand what you're saying, because why would they, if you haven't gone through this experience, you, you, you don't know, we barely know. (laughs) So I wrote this as a way to help like explain infertility and the different types of infertility you could have to someone who's not going through infertility. That way, if you have to tell a friend or family member that you're going to start IVF, you can send them this article and be like, we have an issue with the kitchen or with the flour or like whatever it is. So I think that's like a good place to start on my blog. It's also very like cheeky because I try to make it light. I try to make my, like my writing light and creative. So um, I love that. I know I read it It's and it's light and creative, but it's also really detailed and thorough. And I think like another piece too, if you're, if you, I know some of my friends that have gone through it, they're just like not comfortable talking about like sex or eggs or sperm and say like, yeah, my husband doesn't have good sperm. And so when I read it, I was like, this is a really like easy, almost childproof way to send to your parents or grandparents and they don't yeah. have to get into conversation. Sex. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that so much. That's a good point. 
Yeah. So I would say that's like my favorite article, but like some of the other articles I really like. Um, so I, one of the first articles I wrote, which it sounds like it should be simple, but it's not. I wrote an article underneath my female health explained called, um, let's see, it's called female cycles in plain English, because I just feel like nothing's ever in plain English. <laughs> like I don't want the clinical explanation of like my body, just tell it to me straight. So I think that's a good article and it has gotten some traction because it just, it's like the best article. If you have a teenager who like is getting her period for the first time, or you're an adult woman who's probably never been accurately educated. This is like the article we all should have been read in like seventh grade. Like I need to go read it. <laughs> I'm like, I want to read it. <laughs> um, but I do have articles. I talk about endometriosis, um, diminished ovarian reserve, PCOS, um, premature ovarian insufficiency, adenomyosis, um, chromosomal translocation, RPL, which is recurrent pregnancy loss. Like I've written articles to just capture again in simple language what these things are, because these are all the main contributing factors and like female health conditions that contribute to infertility. Um, so that's all found under my female health explained. And then I have a category called infertility mental health. Um, and so there's some great articles under there, like the baking analogy is there, but I also have one that's called um, infertility is a medical diagnosis, not a mindset, say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> and that was because I went to a baby shower, I don't even know, a few months ago, and some like random older woman at the table heard me talking about what I was going through and was just like, you should relax, honey, take a vacation. And I was like, oh, oh my I God. Here we go. Like, <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's funny. It's funny you said that because when you said, and I've never heard someone say it this way, but you're like, we use donor eggs for medical reasons or medical purposes. I'm like, I've never heard anyone say it, but it couldn't be more accurate. Yeah. And like, and I just owned it. I looked at this woman and I said, that's really ignorant. I just said it to her and the women at the table were like horrified. And I said, look, and I, and I, and I said, look, I know you didn't mean it that way, but I just want you to know why that's kind of ignorant. And I said, I don't, like I have a medical diagnosis. I don't have eggs. They've been ruined by a condition called endometriosis, which by the way, was a genetic hereditary hereditary condition that um, I wasn't properly diagnosed with for almost 20 years. So I don't have eggs. So going on vacation isn't going to create eggs. And I said, and we are using an egg donor and we're really excited about that because it gives us the opportunity to do something that like wasn't possible before. And I mean, she just went like white. This woman went white in the face. Um, and I said, it's okay. You know, it's all right. I understand. You probably have no idea. Like, you know, I don't think people say things to be malicious, but I also think if we don't stop people in that moment and educate from a loving place, they're going to say it to someone else again. Yeah. So it's like the double-edged sword. People don't want to come out and talk about infertility, but I just feel like in my experience, the more that you hide what you're going through, it's like inadvertently feeding into the shame and the struggle for other people, because you could be that one person that stops or educates somebody else before something stupid comes out of their mouth. But if you don't, like it perpetuates the cycle. So I know it's a very personal thing and it's not for everybody to come out and own their story, but I also feel like if not you, then who? Like mm -hmm. these things happen to us so we can hopefully help other people, I think. I mean, that's the only really thing I've been able to take away from my experience. Yeah, I'm sure she'll never say that comment again. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. No. Oh my God, I could not agree with you more. I love that so much.
I have like, I mean, there's been some other things too. This was a good one. Hug your infertility sisters, literally. So this was an article that came about because I was in our fertility clinic sitting in the waiting room. And it's funny, like online, everybody's so supportive, but then you go into your actual fertility clinic and everybody's just scrolling on their phones. There's girls like graduating from the clinic, which is the reason why we're all there. And people don't even say congratulations or look up from their phone. So I'm sitting in the waiting room and there's a girl who's having a meltdown by herself, no partner with the front desk because she's being told that she owes money. She didn't realize she owed and she's hysterically crying. And I don't know, I just like ran up to this random stranger and I gave her a hug and we start hugging and now we're both sobbing and I'm like whispering in her ear. I'm like, this is a really hard journey. Like you're valid. Like, you know, come sit on the couch. Let's calm down, whatever. And again, like I was never a super empathetic person before this. So like, this is a new side to me that even I'm like, who is this person? Um, but we sit down, we chat and now like we're Instagram friends. We're probably going to end up grabbing coffee at some point. She lives locally. So like, that's cool. But she wrote me a message after, um, that interaction, she found me on Instagram and I actually copied and pasted the message into this blog article. Um, but she basically just goes on to say like, thank you for sharing in that moment. Um, there's people in the waiting room that like, we don't treat each other like the infertility sisters that we are, even though online we're all supporting each other. Like what about the people in real life that we see every day in the clinic? So I think that was, I like that article because it kind of challenges like how we show up in real life with people that are struggling versus how we are behind a screen. I I definitely had that experience. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't talk to anyone. It was like such an isolating thing. And a lot of, especially like I was going in the like height of COVID. So really no, significant others were with anyone so like yeah definitely everyone's alone so if we can just I love that challenge that's really cool yeah it is so so for where listeners can find you and all this amazing information so you have an Instagram that kind of like is the channel to your blog right and yes yeah so the Instagram is moving mountains for motherhood but mountains is abbreviated to mtns um so yeah moving mountains for motherhood with that abbreviation and then my website is uh, moving mountains spelled the regular way for motherhood.com you have been an absolute wealth of knowledge not only to me I think Amanda and I both have just been nodding our head the the whole 40 minutes um and you've already provided so much insight to listeners in terms of just tips tricks um articles education are there is there anything else about either your personal journey or I mean you've already given so much to listeners but maybe like a leaving sentiment I mean, I just think that with any adversity in your life, because that's what this is, this is adversity and it's adversity because of a medical issue, right? Um, You can say like, this is happening to me and let it drown you. And sometimes you need to do that. You need to wallow a little bit because like you can't heal unless you have something to heal from. So I think like it's okay to have those feelings, but then I think finding the the way to reframe it to say, this is happening for me is, um, I think where you get your power back. So like, I would have loved to have had my own genetic children, but if I had had my own genetic children, a lot of things wouldn't have happened. First of all, I'd be completely uneducated on anything surrounding my body. I probably would have a lot less empathy. I would probably have like 2000 less followers who have all become like, honestly, like real friends. I've got like real friends out of this experience. Um, I wouldn't have a blog, which is unleashed a creative aspect in me. Um, even now I'm actually writing a little bit of poetry. So my next blog article is actually a poem I wrote. Um, so it's just like, there's like a new hobby that came out of it. And eventually we're going to get through it some way, somehow, whoever, wherever, like we're going to find the way, 
but if you don't kind of try to like own and I don't want to say enjoy, cause that's toxic positivity, but like, just like really be present in the experience, you kind of lose, lose on the experience. Like this is our path to motherhood. We're going to tell our future children, whoever, wherever they are, that we did all these things to get them. And I think it's going to make them feel really special. And I think it's a, I don't know. It's just like a unique thing about us now. Like we're not just like any random couple that had a baby. Everybody now will know what we went through to make this happen. And I think that like the harder the setback, the stronger the comeback. So you're going to have more excitement and attention and just interest in your family building story than you would have had before. So again, I'm not saying I would wish to have it this way, but I think there's byproducts of it that you just can't elevate to that next version of yourself without. So like I could not agree more. I mean, Amanda not you Amanda almost has a two-year-old. I have almost a one-year-old and we spend every weekend in this community and it's the best byproduct. And I, I see you like holding your tongue not to say it, and I'm gonna try not to say it too, but it's like I'm I'm happy this was my path versus just getting pregnant the first time and having a baby. Like the byproducts of my last three years have been un- unbelievable. I mean, I wouldn't have my, it wasn't, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, I mean, I wouldn't have my child. Like if I just got pregnant with my genetic child, I mean, my, I wouldn't have my son. So I would do this all over again, obviously. I I feel like, but I think this is where like people have to be realistic, right? Like I'm able to sit here and feel confident and empowered because I didn't do 17 rounds of IVF and drown my bank account over the course of five years and put myself into a further depression than I already was. You have to decide what's best for you. My mental health was more important than the 2% chance of a genetic child. It just was. And I think when you sit down with your healthcare provider, you need to ask them point blank. If we're going to do an IUI or an IVF or whatever magical potion we're going to do today, what is the odd of success? that this will work. And you need to compare that to regular odds and statistics of natural conception, which are 25 to 30% each month and decide if that's worth the money, effort, emotional strain, like all of that, because the point of going to a fertility clinic is to increase your odds. So that's where I get like, you know, I think especially with diminished ovarian reserve in the DOR community, I do think there are women who have a low AMH that after 12 rounds of IVF will get the miracle baby. But I guess you just have to determine how you want to spend the next five, six, seven years of your life. I didn't want to spend the next five, six, seven years of my life in the worst pain that I've ever been in. I wanted to find a way to escape the situation as fast as possible. And the way to escape it was to embrace alternate routes. And maybe that's not what's best for someone else. But like, that is okay if you want to be selfish and you want to choose yourself over the societal expectation that you do this and you do this a certain way, because guess what? If it was going to be that way, and it was going to be easy. It would have already worked that way. So like that's a balance and you, nobody knows the answer to that, but you, but you should never feel guilty for like stopping egg retrievals to move to another, like it's not giving up, it's pivoting. And it takes a different type of mental strength to do that as well. The three of us couldn't be aligned on anything more than that. I mean, Amanda, how quick did you move on from IVF? Yeah, we did um, just one, no, two rounds. And then we went to um, embryo adoption. So yeah, I did two rounds and then I was like, nope, we're not doing this. I mean, it just wasn't going to work. Mine was a point four, like we just, it was not happening. So I quickly switched. You and- <laughs> yeah, and, and mine, I did one round and said, 
adoption. And I mean, we started the whole process after one round of IVF for every single reason you just said. Sure, maybe five, six years, it would work and it would be great. But I was being selfish with my husband and myself's marriage and personally, and maybe I wasn't going to be the best mom in five or six years after going through that. So um, I love that pivot. Yeah, you have options, even if it might not feel that way. And that's actually an article I wrote two weeks ago. That's the title of that article, because sometimes you just need somebody to give you permission to to pivot and to not feel bad about it. And like, it's not working one way because maybe it wasn't meant to. Mm -hmm. And if it was meant to really work out like easily, it definitely would. Because I have friends that got less eggs than me that made more embryos. I mean, if I can't make one single embryo at 30 years old out of 14 eggs, it does not take a rocket scientist to see that we have a problem. So... I love that so much. Well, Erica, thank you so much for being on. We are so happy that you're on to just share everything. Oh my gosh, like so much wealth of knowledge. It was amazing. Um, but we definitely will link your blog, link your Instagram so that people can just join your community and they can like subscribe to your blog, right? And then get, okay. Yeah, they can subscribe to my blog um, right on the blog or follow Instagram. I always like post articles and I kind of see this blog, like if you're someone that's going through infertility, and you're like, well, what happens when Erica eventually gets pregnant? Because she's clearly <laughs> blazing through this infertility-like storm. I, It's always going to be unique. This experience will always be unique. So I kind of see this blog being something that has infertility information that eventually will kind of morph into like raising donor-conceived children and um, all of the uniquenesses that comes with like alternate routes to parenthood. So I think in time it will kind of transform. And I think we need more of that in this community because we have a lot I'm sorry, of like uneducated mommy bloggers, but the people that have really been through the storm are the infertility warriors. And we need more people mommy blogging about what does it look like after the storm? Because infertility never fully goes away. It's just kind of part of your story. So um, that was actually an inspiration to why I wanted the blog to look and feel a certain way. It's very girly. It has a lot of like pink and it's pretty because most of the infertility Aside from yours, actually, yours is gorgeous. It's like very boho. Love it. <laughs> yours is too, though. I mean, I look, that's why when you just told me it's only been up for six months, I was like, what? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yours is actually gorgeous. But like a lot of like the infertility blogs that exist, they're not super like aesthetically pleasing because they're very clinical and kind of sad. Yeah. And I'm like, we're all still women and we want to look at pretty things too. And we deserve to have those outlets that are also visually pleasing and nice to look at. So that's actually very like intentional about the look and feel of my blog. Um, and I hope that, you know, as time goes on and once I overcome this battle, like I'll, it'll, it'll continue. Well, we are, well, honestly, I'm just so thrilled that we connected and you were on here to, to share. We are wrapping up season two. So this episode will, will air it quite soon and listeners can hear all about your story and all of your articles that you'll probably pu- publish over the next month or so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.